You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. This is Socks in the Basement. 30 minutes of socks for fans, by fans, and it's brought to you proudly by the fine folks over at Family Waterproofing Solutions. For bowing walls, window wells, sump pumps, gutter cleaning, any kind of drainage system to get water through your yard and away from your home, these are the people to reach out to and get them to do the work. Concrete raising. If you have concrete that's going up and down and uneven, that is a foundation issue. Now is the perfect time of the year to get that taken care of. They have a great system. They do not break up your concrete, your patio, whatever. Give them a call 24-7. Mention Socks in the Basement. You get money off. 708-330-4466. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. Ed is going to be along in just a moment, but first, let's have our guest in. We're going to kind of switch it up a little bit. Joining me on the phone line right now, good friend of the show. He's been on a lot, and, and we're lucky whenever we get to talk to these guys that are embedded with the team, that go into the locker rooms, that write about them, that cover them exclusively, like Scott Greger does for the Daily Herald. And uh, Scott, I want to welcome you on the show. It's a big stretch now coming up. Eight games, four against the Twins. Four against the Indians, and then who knows what we are after that's all over. How are you? I'm great, Chris, and thanks for having me on as always. And uh, totally agree. Yeah, this is this is the biggest week of the season. Um, it's been a long stretch. I think when it ends Sunday in Minnesota, it's going to be 17 games in 18 days or something crazy. And so yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be pushing it this week. And I think they, you know, just being in the locker room, like you said, they they know what this week is. Um, it's not, I wouldn't say 100% make or break, but you're going to know a lot more about the White Sox like a week from today. What do you think they need to do in this stretch? Because to me, splitting isn't good enough. You have to gain ground. This is your opportunity to make up for what you did at the beginning of the year. So I'm thinking minimum, you got to take five out of eight. I would love six out of eight, but I think a minimum, you have to make a statement here, right? Or can this team tread water and still feel like contenders? You know, they've been treading water all season, so I think they're they're getting tired of treading. Um, you know, here's what here's the way I, I kind of see it, Chris. They have four games in three days in Cleveland. Cleveland's really, like, playing bad right now. So jump on this team. You know what? Take three out of four. They haven't played well against Cleveland this year. They haven't played well against Minnesota this year. But they have a little bit of momentum. That was a really rough homestand they're coming off of. But... They salvaged the last two against Detroit. Detroit's playing much better than they did when the Sox swept them in Detroit, you know, in like mid-June, I want to say. So they have a little momentum. They're going into Cleveland to play a, a team that's really struggling. So just try to jump on them there. You know, they, ideally, they could be sitting at the All-Star break for as poorly as they played. They could be, like, if this trip goes well for them, two games out, let's just say, you know, something like that, well within reach regroup at the all-star break and it looks like they might be getting Yasmani Grandal back for this right at the beginning of the second half. That's another left-handed bat that they really need. They've been missing. And, you know, the schedule in the second half isn't nearly as daunting as it was in the first half. And they're in a, not a, you know, the division's not very good again. 
And so, you know, then they have kind of a puncher's chance. I got to bring this up. I watched the video, I want to say Friday, that came out when Tim Anderson was told in front of his team that he was making the all-star team as a starter. And I saw people put up split screens of the reaction last year when he was named to the all-star team compared to this year. And it was very subdued this year. Yes. They did not look very excited in that clubhouse. It, it was almost eerie to me. Now, I might be reading into something weirdly, but then Bob Nightingale puts out a little tidbit about the White Sox in USA Today, and he says, quote, there have been a lot of whispers of unrest, clicks, and the lack of player leadership inside the clubhouse tearing apart this talented team. You're in the clubhouse. Do you see something that's a little off this year? Just through the years, for so many years of covering the White Sox, Chris, when you're playing like the White Sox are, you, that's when you, you start hearing the whispers. You maybe you see the stuff that's, that the enthusiasm isn't there. When, Like last year, I mean, at this point, they were they, they pretty much had the division like locked up. Um, so it's, it's always the, one, like the win-loss record. To answer your question, though, the, the clubhouse is – just about like the same as it always is. But when, when a team's like underachieving, like the White Sox, you just guys are more subdued. Uh, I'm not seeing any, you know, like fragmentation or, you know, that 26 cabs for 26 guys. I don't think it's hit that point. You know, a lot of that stuff also happens when we're not in there. There, there have been fights. I can, I can't tell you how many fights there have been. I'm not seeing that. Haven't heard about that. Um, I just really think that, like the, the the stress of underachieving like they have probably has taken sapped a lot of that energy out but it's nothing that like a, a seven and one road trip here wouldn't take care of and uh I wouldn't put too much weight in that. Yeah, winning cures everything. And there are teams I've said this before on this show. Uh I don't care as much about like the White Sox send out these surveys all the time. You know, what do you think about this player and do you feel connected to him? And in my mind, I just want to win. Like that that's all I care about. I'm not I'm not really concerned about the peripheral stuff. I want to win and winning does cure an awful lot inside of a clubhouse. If you start to see something, how do you approach that as a journalist? If you start to get whispers, if you start to hear from one guy that something's going on, when does the when does the light bulb go on in your head and you're like, "Wait a minute, there might actually be something here." It doesn't seem like you see anything right now, but how do you approach that when you do see it? Because it also sounds like you have seen this in the past. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, quite a bit. Um, Chrissy, here's what I'll tell you is that it, it's kind of interesting how you, you approach this. And we actually have kind of approached it a little bit just because of the one loss record again. And it's, and you find the guys that are, that are honest and you go to them. Like it used to be, like I've been around long enough that I, I covered Ozzy again as a player and a manager. But I mean, Ozzy as a player, I'll never forget on that 90, on that 1990, five team coming out of the, the long strike. That team was terrible. They fired Gene Lamont like, you know, a month into it. And it was like Ozzy, there are guys like Ozzy, Alex Fernandez. You find guys that are just honest all the time. And they, they kind of use them as like a guide, as a lead. Um, on this year's team, the guys that, that, that are, that fit that kind of uh, profile, Liam Hendricks, I mean, Liam Hendricks, if, if things are bad, well, he'll tell you. And he's kind of, you know, hinted that, hey, this could get really bad if we don't turn it around, but nothing there. Lucas Giolito, you know, pretty much, hey, we're hanging together. Tim Anderson has addressed it. It's, and it really just comes back to, you know, like, hey, we're still in this all together. I mean, that's been the message. Now, what happens 
you know, like in the past, remember like the Chris Sale, Adam Eaton stuff? That was Adam LaRoche. I mean, there was, you, I mean, you could see it almost. It was so bad in that, in that clubhouse. Uh, compared to that, this, this year's team, I just think they're a little frustrated, they, you know, that with the one loss record. They, but they also know that they have a great opportunity this week. And let's just say they, they break even on this trip. They're still going to be within striking distance, which isn't the greatest thing. But I, I still think they even know that, you know, go home for the all-star break for a couple of days, you know, get recharged, you know, get Grindall back, it looks like, and just keep pushing. Scott Greger, nice enough to join us here on Socks in the Basement. He and every guest on Socks in the Basement brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and learn about everything going on this weekend, including fireworks and music at the Forge. Check it all out at lamontdowntown.com. All right, before I let you go, I got to ask your opinion on Michael Kopech because, I, I, I don't know, something something makes me think his arm might not uh, be as lively as it may have been at the beginning of the year. And we watched this with Carlos Rodon last year. And guys that don't pitch a lot of innings the year beforehand generally run out of gas at some point. Do you see anything with him? Do you uh, hear or uh, anticipate in any way the White Sox may, I don't know, shut him down for a couple of weeks, have to baby it a little bit, or or, or is it just a bump in the road? What do you What do you feel on Michael Kopech right now? Yeah, that's a that's a good uh, a good point there, Chris. You know, I I think the big problem is you mentioned the arm. I think with Kopech, it's the knee. You saw it even yesterday. He, he keeps tweaking that right knee. He's that's his. You know, that, that's where he gets a lot of his velocity, driving off that back leg. There's, it, it's not right. I mean, it hasn't been right since he tweaked it, what, like about a month ago. So, yeah, the White Sox were going to take care of him and probably, like, give him they, – they did give him that one break earlier. Like, a, they gave him, like, a week off, and he came back, didn't pitch very well. But with this knee issue he's got now, that's going to probably factor even more. I'm sure they – you know, they have guys like Reynaldo Lopez, uh, Vince Velasquez, um, they could bring up this kid, Davis Martin, who I think is going to pitch tomorrow, one of the one game of the doubleheader. But Kopech's going to need that all-star break. And then, you know, coming into the second half, they're going to really have to keep an eye on that, especially if that knee keeps bugging him. And he's just not pitching yet. He doesn't look any hardly at all like he looked, you know, the first month or two of the season. So, unfortunately um, for this team, they have some decent depth in the uh, rotation, and that'll help because they're going to have to give him a break and let, let that knee calm down. And just like you said, yeah, he hasn't pitched that much lately, too. Awesome. Scott Gregor's from the Daily Herald. He's so nice to jump on this show and uh, and fill in us and our audience on everything that's going on with the White Sox. What a big stretch. And, and for your sake, Scott, I hope they do well. You know, I mean, like me as a fan, I want them to do well because they're my team. I want them to do well. I, I'm hoping this is the moment, this is the turnaround. You alluded that this team knows how important this next eight games is, but I want them to win for you because what a miserable experience it's going to be covering this team <laughs> if they fall out of it, huh? Yeah, well, it's just it's just more with, with me is it's like just just watching like they played a lot of sloppy baseball and that that's just like it's painful, you know. And uh, just play like clean baseball if you get beat. You know, if you get beat, that's one thing, but when you keep beating yourself, that makes it uh, that makes it tough. Excellent, Scott. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Chris. As Ed sits down here at the 9-Foot Homemade Oak Bar to react to Scott Greger and what we talked about on this episode, I want to remind you that if you have any kind of issues or a loved one, 
has an issue in which you need medical equipment, a sleep apnea machine, or oxygen tanks, or specialized bed or recliner, bathroom aids. You need to convert the bathroom, get them in and out of the tub a little bit easier. Diabetes management, anything that keeps a person independent and in their home, they take care of it at Hyatt Home Medical Equipment. A big, brand new showroom right on the south side. You name it, they handle it. And there's a person right there for you to talk to, ask all the questions you need, and get all the answers you deserve. And they're going to help you out with getting the insurance company to pay for as much as possible. Plus, you get a discount if you mention Socks in the Basement. Check out all that they do and all they have to offer online at hhme.com or stop in to Hyatt Home Medical Equipment, 3518 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park. Interesting stuff from Scott Gregor of the Daily Herald. Ed is sitting down here at the 9-Foot Homemade Oak Bar. I started with him because I wanted, before we got into what is going on, in the White Sox clubhouse, and is there something that that is that is happening? Is there some sort of strife? I want to talk to a guy that was inside the clubhouse because me going off of a tweet and a Bob Nightingale story and and all, that's that's irresponsible. So that's why I brought him in right, here. Right. And, and what I'm picking up is that there are whispers that things aren't great, but it isn't a dysfunctional clubhouse like ones that Scott's seen before. That makes I think a lot of sense, right? Because. If there was outright fighting, I would I would feel like we would know more. I remember when Dallas Keuchel was mouthing off, and he's he's given up nine hits in, a, in an inning or whatever whatever disaster his starts were, but then he's turning around and, and kind of throwing shade at his infielders for not fielding the ball when you know that's the, and he's saying he's the best pitcher in the in, on the team. Look at my track record. Look at how good I've been. Yeah, stuff like that. You get things like that. I remember back when Frank Thomas uh, and David Wells had it out for each other because Thomas wasn't playing and Wells basically called him a pansy for not playing because his arm hurt and it turns out that he completely torn his tricep and there's no way he could possibly play through that. You get stuff like that where you, I, I feel like there's always more public stuff and the, the Tim Anderson All-Star Selection video was kind of the first one where we really saw inside the clubhouse there being some sort of an issue. It looked weird. But I, there's, I, I think there's always been stuff, though. There's always stuff, right? You've worked for places where morale's been low, and, and, you know, where things aren't going great. Right. I mean, the Anderson thing looked weird. And let's put this in perspective, okay? Uh, I'm not TMZ, and I'm not going to sit there and throw shade on Tim Anderson's personal life. But, I mean, I think anybody in a relationship will understand it at some level, but I think... I think guys who have been married are going to understand this just just slightly more, okay? That's not to put anybody else down, but just just slightly more here, okay? I worked up in Evanston for about a year and a half when I first got out of radio. And when I was up there, I was married. My wife had had her first kid. There was another one that was on the way. And there was this really pretty girl that worked in the office where I was at. Now, I was a good married man, and I did not mess around on my wife. But she, for some reason, thought I was funny, this girl. She just found me entertaining. When you went out for drinks after work, she sat right next to me. She knew I was married. And one day she decided to take her shot in the weirdest of ways by calling my wife on the phone to look for me. She called the home number, not my cell phone. She was able to obtain it out of the office records. She called. She made some kind of implication, according to my wife, that me and her were a thing. And when I came walking in the door that day, not knowing that this had happened, 
A plate missed my head by about two inches as it exploded off of the door as I opened it up and said, hi, honey, I'm home. The second plate, I don't know where it landed because I was diving back onto the porch and I didn't know why there were plates being thrown at me. Okay, so you can't tell me that there isn't something that may be weighing on Tim Anderson when you have some girl on Instagram who alleges that she's carrying his baby and she ain't his wife. And here's another thing that I want everybody to understand And I think, again, married guys who hang out in groups with other married guys whose wives hang out with each other as well. When you hear Jake Berger's fiance come on this show a couple weeks ago, a wonderful interview, very nice girl, and Jake's been on before as well. And when we ask her about what it's like hanging out with all the wives and girlfriends, and the first person she talks about is Timmy Anderson's wife and how wonderful she is. I guarantee you there are guys that are in that clubhouse who after this thing broke on Instagram and social media about Tim, their wives found them and said, you're not going and hanging out with him ever again, right? Like you, I'm telling that's what happens in a marriage, okay? If you've got a buddy and your buddy may be running around, and again, I don't know the full story on this, but I guarantee there's tension there and I guarantee there are guys who have been told, you, you ain't going to the bar with him. That, that kind of stuff is real. It'd be real in a workplace anywhere in the world, let alone a baseball dugout where these guys live with each other and travel from city to city and stay in hotel rooms. That's a real thing. And so I can't imagine there isn't something that there's some kind of tension there. Okay. And now I don't think that that should affect how they play. And that may not be the only problem going on in the clubhouse. But when I saw the Tim Anderson video and I saw the one from the year before where they all jumped around jubilantly when he was selected to the All-Star game, this time around it was a smattering of applause as if they were obligated to do it. And that was it. And it was a weird video and I think most people saw the video and thought it was weird. And then you see the Bob Nightingale thing come out about the fact there's tension and clicks and whispers and everything else like that. And that's why we had to have Greg around who's basically telling us, yeah, if they were winning, most of this stuff wouldn't be a big deal, but they're losing and there, there are some things festering there, and hopefully it doesn't get worse. It's not bad now. Imagine if all of a sudden they're 10 games under and it's completely falling apart in August. It might be a wild ride at the end of the season with this clubhouse. Yeah, and not to, to say that that, you know, the allegations around Tim Anderson or what's going on in his personal life is the only thing that could, could ever contribute no. to there being tension and clicks or any problems in the clubhouse. But it's something where Tim has not played nearly as well as he was playing last year, where, uh, you know, by this time of the year, he's he's basically, he's a hero. He's the face of the team. He's the face of the game. And this year, it feels a little bit more like he's been distracted by what's going on with him. And, and the team in in and of itself is not playing very well. And he's hanging back, if you notice. I mean, I don't see him being brash or bravioso or jumping in front of a microphone because, trust me, he probably doesn't want to do that right now. Well, and that's that's part of it, right, is when when Nightingale's talking about sort of a lack of leadership in the clubhouse, I I sort of bristled at that word, leadership, because I, I don't think he fully encapsulated what that might be talking about, okay? This team last year had a very specific attitude, okay? They were fun-loving, they were brash, they were coming out to start kicking your butts, and this was the arrival of the White Sox. This was the arrival of this team that was going to compete for a few years here and was going to be a menace to the American League and a menace to the the major leagues in general. 
And that was the chip that they had on their shoulder. You just don't see that this year, right? You see a team that comes out flat, that comes out listless, that uh, you know is getting pounded early on in games and is giving up leads and just you know is not basically playing the way with the, the fire or the intensity that they played with last year and certainly not the fun that this team played with last year. This last year, this team had fun. This team is not. And they're fun. not doing it. This team yeah. is. A, this team is a miserable team that it, it doesn't feel fun. I mean, every once in a while, you get something exciting that happens at the end. But I described that game a couple of weeks ago where it went twelve innings, and it was more relief when they walked off. It wasn't. It wasn't fun. I mean, some people might think of it as fun, but they were probably twenty beers in at that point. Most of us did not right. find that to be a fun experience. A a truly fun experience, though, Ed. Yes. For you. Look at this transition. Look at me transitioning to the, 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 uh, the ad. All right. A truly fun. That's it. That's that's really it's not that impressive. I mean, it's it's kind of cheesy. Uh, if you want a fun experience, get out to Hailstorm Brewing Company in Tinley Park, 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. Uh, one of the things I love about Hailstorm is that they are a beer hall. They've got the beautiful outdoor patio. They've got the big, long tables in there. They've got an awesome bar in there, and they've got an incredible selection of beers that they're they're all made right there. Like, you're in the brewery and in a beer hall that's part of a brewery with all the tanks. It's really cool, and you can also kind of get a break. You know, if, if during this stretch here of eight games, it all goes wrong, and you don't want to be near a television set, that's the place to be because it's more just hanging out with friends and meeting new people, uh, live music on the weekends, trivia nights, all kinds of fun events and great summer beers like the Primo Mexican Lager and the big, beautiful wheat, which is a Bavarian Hefeweizen, which is incredible. Make sure you check that out. Follow them on their Facebook page at Hailstorm Brewing Co. or check them out at hailstormbrewing.com. Get out the Hailstorm Brewing Company at 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. All right, so I, I'm hopeful for this stretch right here. Are you hopeful? Have you lost hope? How do you feel about what's coming up right now with the Indians and and the Twins right after that? Because Scott Greger seems to think this is the moment right here. You got to take three out of four to get back into it. Well, I, he's not wrong, right? I, I mean, if you don't, and you're not wrong the way you guys were talking about it in the interview, uh, there has to be an overwhelming winning record in this. I mean, you, you got to come out of this thing closer to first place than than you are to fourth place, right? Winning, as far as winning, curing everything, yeah, that'll certainly help. But here's where tying it back into the whole, is the clubhouse, you know, are there any problems within the clubhouse situation? I'm starting to wonder, when we're looking at this team as a whole and we're trying to decipher, for example, Tony's impact on the team, there is a certain responsibility to the manager, and this is true in every single management situation. It's true when you've been a supervisor and a manager. It's true when I've been a supervisor and a manager. It's certainly true of a Major League Baseball team. But Tony's got a job to do, not just in terms of his in-game stuff, which we focused on. But I worry a little bit when I watch Tony's demeanor. And if we get the same Tony in the clubhouse that you and I as fans or that the media gets when he's he's doing these post-game press conferences where he just does not seem to be a very energetic man anymore, okay? He does not seem to be somebody who has a whole lot of ability to get up and rah-rah. He does not seem to have a whole lot of passion to him. He looks 
Frankly, he looks like the Miles have caught up with him a little bit. He isn't even giving the speech when Anderson makes the all-star team, right? He's got the hitting coach doing it. That's what I mean. He's got Frank Menachino doing it. So as the manager, okay, if you see the clubhouse, if you see these whispers and you hear them, and and I'm not going to make an ageist joke about Tony not being able to hear, but if, if you are in tune with your clubhouse and you can hear what's going on and you can see that the team just does not have any life behind it, you've got to find a way to get the team up for these games, okay? And you can't just rely on self-policing and and the players to try and find it amongst themselves because there are going to be, and this is the other thing I sort of bristled at with, with what Nightingale said, there are going to be clicks in, in any workplace, okay? There's 26 Anywhere. guys. Not, not all 26 guys are going to agree with each other on everything, They're not all going to be friends. They don't all speak the same language. Right, but Ed, here's the thing then. Here's the problem. If that is normal in a clubhouse, and as Scott Greger is saying, this happens and it always looks worse when uh, when a team isn't winning, right? And it makes Tony look bad because you're what you're saying is, hey, if if there are problems in the clubhouse, where's the manager trying to make sure that guys are still sticking together, right? And and is he yeah. able to handle that? The question I have is, who tells Bob Nightingale that? Because he isn't traveling with the team, right? Bob Nightingale is not sitting in there with Scott Greger and Scott Merkin and James Feagan, all these guys that come on the show, okay? He's writing for USA Today and covering everything. And we've already seen that when he gets his information, you can look at who it benefits when he puts out stuff, and you can always, always draw a line to the front office, generally Jerry or Kenny. Because remember when remember when Tony was hired, Passan, Jeff Passan was was writing about people that didn't like the hire, and we kind of assume that's probably Han, right? And Nightingale was pretty much talking for for Jerry Reinstorf during that time. And we've seen other examples of it. I mean, everybody's got a source, but sometimes you can figure out the sources. So who's putting that out there? And what is the point of putting it out there? Because there's got to be a reason you tell Bob Nightingale that there's not, everything isn't perfect inside of the clubhouse, right? I mean, maybe a player said it, but my first instinct is somebody told him that. So what's the motivation? Do they really think that it takes eyes off of Tony? We're going to sit there and say, well, they didn't get along. It wasn't Tony's fault. So he's back for season three because I don't know how that how that plays, because what you're saying is right. He's still the manager. And if he loses the clubhouse, that's an indictment as well. Right. And and where I'm going with it, too, is is you can fully expect that all these guys want to win. Okay, but. It's going to be natural that there's going to be some guys looking at other guys with some semblance of, look, why is this guy playing and I'm not playing more? Or, you know, I wish I was in the lineup more often. And you're naturally going to look at the guys that are in there that aren't performing or the guys that are playing out of place or whatever and just wonder about them. Okay, so it's human nature is what we're talking about. And Tony's got to manage that. And so why are we hearing that whisper from? Why are we hearing that rumor? Why are we, what, what is this, what purpose does it serve to put this out there? I can think of two things. Okay. If they come together and they win this stretch and we head into the all-star break with them riding high and we come out headed towards the, uh, basically headed towards the deadline, the trade deadline with the White Sox competing with the White Sox being in a position to potentially be buyers, then it's something where we just sit there and say, you know what, this team came back together, they took a little breather, 
but you know, they look at look at the guts. It's a it's a good sales pitch, right? For them to, to sit there and say, look at the moxie on these guys. And I, I realize I'm talking like somebody in the 1930s film. Yeah, but yeah. By gosh darn it! Look at the moxie on these fellows right over here. Hey, <laughs> I love so, the cut of their jib. <laughs> I love the cut of their jib. Boy, boy, boy! You got some hairstyles on there. You can set your watch to. Hey, um, so I, you know, you you can look at that. But if the if the clubhouse falls apart and they trade away certain guys, or Rick does a, a Kenny and kind of does a rebuild on the fly kind of a thing, then you can sit there and just say, look, this team. You know, it, it was a tough season. We're going to maximize the value for some of these players. We're going to retool a little bit here and bring in some fresh eyes and some fresh blood. And we're going to, we're going to start this over, but it, it does, it does really deflect it because look at the way it was written. There's a lack of player leadership on this team. And I find it really, really hard to believe that a clubhouse with Liam Hendricks, that a clubhouse with Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, I thought he was their father. They all look up to him. He suddenly isn't leading anymore. Right? Why are you throwing him under the bus? That's the problem. Why are you? I, I thought we loved this guy, and he's he's performing. Well, and that's that's the problem I have with it too. Is by putting it down on the players and saying that there's no leadership there. It just it just takes away from the fact that we still have. Okay, we still have a coaching staff that can't seem to draw this out and figure this out. And if you go back to 2005, okay, go back to the successful White Sox teams and how the managers handle those those situations, right? It wasn't always about X's and O's. You can't tell me Ozzie Guillen was the greatest in-game strategist that has ever walked a dugout. Even he doesn't know why he put Jeff Blum in there in game three. He had his kid tell him who to put in. He was putting in somebody else. He's admitted that before. I can't remember who he was sending up there, but it wasn't even going to be Blum. And his kid looked at him and said, go, go with Blummer. And he's like, all right, okay. It's, it's only game three of the World Series. You're right, yeah. And, and well, it worked out anyway. Um, but, it, you know, what did Ozzy do really well? Like, what was, what was the big thing that Ozzy had? He had that clubhouse, right? That was the first team that A.J. Pruszynski had been on in his major league career that didn't complain about him, for gosh sakes. So, you know, you have things like that. You have Carl Everett sitting there being weird Carl Everett, and somehow it works, right? But Ozzy had the players, okay? And... They believed in themselves, and they went out and they performed, and they all did their jobs, and everything worked out great. Tony knows baseball. I don't think that there's any doubt that Tony LaRusa knows the game of baseball. I think that there's a possibility here that what we're seeing is a result of Tony LaRusa because of how many miles are on that brain and that body after all the years, all the decades he has spent in baseball. He just doesn't have the fire and the passion to do something to bring the team together. I, he does. He's not Lou Brown from Major League where, well, in this case, I guess if you're going to do something with the owner in a bikini, it would be every time we win a game, we put a piece back on because it's, it's, it's Jerry in a bikini. And I'm not saying anything against Jerry personally, but That's I don't want to see the man That's in a bikini. That's the show. That's it. We're done. I'm going to have a picture of Jerry Reinsdorf with no clothes on and hoping the White Sox win to cover him back up. I think your point got made there, okay? In, in the worst possible way, your point was made. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.